All right, Wrestling With Theology fans, this is Pastor Doug Minton here to dig deeper with you into the Psalms, especially now as we get into Book 2 of the Psalms, and this week looking at Psalms 42 to 44. We talked a little bit last week about the possibilities as to why we have things the way they are with the five sections of Psalms and some of the ideas. Today I want to talk about specifically differences between Book 2 Psalms 42 to 72, and Book 1, Psalms 1 to 41. And primarily, it is the name of God used. In Book 1, Yahweh is used much more often than Elohim, to the tune of 272 times for Yahweh, 25 times for Elohim. It gets flipped in Book 2, as now we are not with David's Psalms, but especially like we'll see this week, the sons of Korah. Here, Elohim is used 164 times compared to Yahweh only 30 times in Psalms 42 to 72. So that is one of the most stark differences. I mean, we don't see it necessarily in our Hebrew. or We see it in the Hebrew, but not in our English translations. So this is where we have it. That says the main thing between transition from book one to book two. Book one, you had a ton of Lord in all caps. Now it is more just God. So there's the main thing there. Okay, let's get into Psalm 42 here. Psalm 42. To the choir master, a masculine of the sons of Korah. As a deer pants for flowing streams, so pants my soul for you, O God. My soul thirsts for God, for the living God. When shall I come and appear before God? My tears have been my food day and night, while they say to me all the day long, Where is your God? These things I remember as I pour out my soul, how I would go with the throng and lead them in procession to the house of God, with glad shouts and songs of praise, a multitude-keeping festival. Why are you cast down, O my soul, and why are you in turmoil within me? Hope in God, for I shall again praise Him, my salvation and my God. My soul is cast down within me. Therefore, I remember you from the land of Jordan and of Hermon from Mount Mizar. Deep calls to deep at the roar of your waterfalls. All your breakers and your wares have gone over me. By day, the Lord commands his steadfast love, and at night, his song is with me, a prayer to the God of my life. I say to God, my rock, why have you forsaken me? Why do I go mourning because of the oppression of the enemy? As with a deadly wound in my bones, my adversaries taunt me, while they say to me all the day long, Where is your God? Why are you cast down, O my soul, and why are you in turmoil within me? Hope in God, for I shall again praise him, my salvation and my God. So far, Psalm 42. Again, we see this as we talked about the Yahweh, the Lord, being replaced by the number of times just God is put in there. So we see this even from a difference in Psalm 41 last week to Psalm 42 this week, is that there are a lot more mentions of just God in a more generic form and not his proper name given in the covenant. All right, so let's look back at the superscription because this is where we start to begin some more differences is now we don't have Psalms of David. We have Psalms from this group called the sons of Korah. 
Now, the best we can come up with is Korah is the great-grandson of Levi. Also, the same one who led the rebellion against Moses and Aaron in number 16. But his sons were not involved in his rebellion, as declared in Numbers 26.11. And by David's day, several centuries after the Exodus, the sons of Korah were one of the most renowned families among the Levites, and possibly those who were in charge of being the singers in the temple, in the tabernacle. So, this is where we get the sons of Korah, and who we are pretty sure most everybody believes that this is who they are. So we now look back at one of the most well-known images of comfort in the scripture. The deer panting by streams of water. Why is the deer panting? Why is the psalmist like that deer thirsting for life? Because he seems to be away from the sanctuary in Jerusalem. And it is not a good time while there is that distance. And we've seen that as we come back in again to a, another round of wanting to limit the places we go, mask mandates everywhere, all of this about wanting to keep everybody safe and not gathering together. Again, one of the things that typically gets said with that, or even with those who are shut in for their own other physical ailments, is that they have this same feeling of being away from the congregation, not being able to worship with their brothers and sisters because of whatever reason they have that keeps them out of the service, that they miss it. They long for the time when they can get back if God lets them. And this is the way the psalmist is writing this, is one who is away, maybe even on into exile for some reason. And it's like, would that we ever get back to the sanctuary? Would that we be able to come back together as the people of God to worship him? This is that deer panting by streams of water, hoping and praying for that moment. As we get to verse 5, there is the sense of understanding of God's omnipresence and God's omnipotence here. Again, verse 5, Why are you cast down, O my soul? And why are you in turmoil within me? Hope in God, for I shall again praise him, my salvation and my God. And the great thing, the psalmist comes back and repeats that same verse again in verse 11 to end the psalm. Why? Kind of an antiphon that we sometimes use with the psalms when we sing them in church but also the idea that we need to concretely remember that our hope is in God and that with God being who God is, we know that we can be in his presence. And this also gives to the idea of Jesus talking to the Samaritan woman in John 4, that the people of God will worship in spirit and in truth. It won't matter where you are. And that's where we get into verse 6, is that he talks about the locations of maybe where he is or where he has been, maybe where he grew up. 
Uh, verse 6, my soul is cast down within me. Therefore, I remember you from the land of Jordan and of Hermon and from Mount Mizar. Now, Jordan, of course, is the Jordan River. The What had originally been the idea for the eastern side of what Israel would be in the promised land. Although, really, if you look back to Abraham's covenant with God, the river that is the eastern boundary is the Euphrates. And Israel never proceeded that far east in their conquest of the promised land. They were fine with just staying around the Jordan River. And even now today, you have that where the country of Israel, the border is the Jordan River. Mount Hermon, large mountain range northeast of Palestine, not far from Caesarea Philippi to the south or Damascus to the east. And Mount Hermon is noted in the Bible as being kind of the principal mountain in that range that kind of goes up the western border of Syria. And then the one that we don't really know, Mount Mizar. Where is this? Again, we don't know. There's not been a place that anybody has said, this is Mount Mizar, because I could not find another time where this is used as referring to a place. Now, Mizar itself means little. I mean, literally, it's just a little hill, a little mountain. Now, could this be, as some have suggested, the city of Zoar, where Lot escaped from Sodom and Gomorrah, saying that this is a little place. Let me go here, uh, Genesis 19.20. Could it be there? Maybe. But then Lot then goes off into the mountains from Zoar because he doesn't feel safe there either. And so that makes a lot of sense for this psalm because there is that idea of not feeling safe, of not feeling secure because there is not that ability to be able to be present with the people of God, which is why this is often used especially for those of us who use the pastoral care companion that came out with Lutheran service book for the bringing of the body into the church for the funeral is that this is one of those psalms that are used with the family as they prepare their minds for the service ahead. Where I and many pastors like me, and I hope every pastor, takes a few moments to let them collect their thoughts, collect themselves, compose themselves, because for many of them, if it's the death of a parent, if it's the death of a child, if it's the death of a spouse, this is one of the most emotional days of their life. As we come back in to the church, bringing their loved one into the church for one last time, putting them into the ground, to await the resurrection, the finality of that, the concreteness of that death comes full head on in this. And that leaves them, again, like a deer, panting by the streams of water, throat dry, looking for that nourishment to be able to quench that dryness. And that dryness truly can only be overcome 
by the word of God that creates living and active streams in the hearts of believers. All right, we move into Psalm 43, a very short psalm here, only five verses, but possibly could be connected to Psalm 42 because, again, the last verse of Psalm 43 is now a third time that we will hear the same words of hoping in God. So Psalm 43, Vindicate me, O God, and defend my cause against an ungodly people. From the deceitful and unjust man, deliver me. For you are the God in whom I take refuge. Why have you rejected me? Why do I go about mourning because of the oppression of the enemy? Send out your light and your truth. Let them lead me. Let them bring me to your holy hill and to your dwelling. Then I will go to the altar of God, to God my exceeding joy. And I will praise you with the lyre, O God, my God. Why are you cast down, O my soul? And why are you in turmoil within me? Hope in God, for I shall again praise him, my salvation and my God. And so we have again that why are you cast down? Why are you in turmoil? Why? Because we live in a world filled with sin. And that sin comes from within ourselves. That comes from outside with the ungodly people who speak against us as the children of God. And that is what the psalm is all about. Vindication for those who come out attacking us. Vindicate me, O God, and defend my cause against an ungodly people. Against the people who want nothing to do with the one true God and calls upon God to lead with his light and his truth, bringing us to Psalm 119, 105. Your word is a lamp to my feet and a light to my path. And then Jesus talking in John 14, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. And this is where the rubber meets the road. We see the light the truth in front of us, but oftentimes we turn away. We become ungodly ourselves because we want our own way. Which then comes to repeat the question, why are you cast down on my soul? Because I'm not getting it my way. Regardless of how much I try, we still have God's truth and light being out in front of us. But again, we have the same answer to the question. I shall again praise him, my salvation and my God. Why? Because it's verse 4. God is our exceeding joy. When we do take refuge in him, when we do follow his light and his truth, we find joy that we cannot explain, that we cannot contain. And that is the great thing of being a child of God, is having that joy, having that moment where we can say, yes, I am a child of God. God is my heavenly father. And I will praise him again because I never have a reason to stop praising him. And that's where we kind of get into in Psalm 44. All right, again, in Psalm 44, we have the superscription, to the choir master, a masculine of the sons of Korah. 
O God, we have heard with our ears, our fathers have told us what deeds you performed in their days in the days of old. You with your own hand drove out the nations, but them you planted. You afflicted the peoples, but them you set free. For not by their own sword did they win the land, nor did their own arm save them. But your right hand and your arm, and the light of your face, for you delighted in them. You are my king, O God. Ordain salvation for Jacob. Through you we push down our foes. Through your name we tread down those who rise up against us. For not in my bow do I trust, nor can my sword save me. But you have saved us from our foes and have put us to shame those who hate us. In God we have boasted continually, and we will give thanks to your name forever. But you have rejected us and disgraced us and have not gone out with our armies. You have made us turn back from the foe, and those who hate us have gotten spoiled. You have made us like sheep for slaughter and have scattered us among the nations. You have sold your people for a trifle, demanding no high price for them. You have made us the taunt of our neighbors, the derision and scorn of those around us. You have made us a byword among the nations, a laughingstock among the peoples. All day long my disgrace is before me, and shame has covered my face. At the sound of the taunter and reviler, at the sight of the enemy and the avenger. All this has come upon us, though we have not forgotten you, and we have not been false to your covenant. Our heart has not turned back, nor have our steps departed from your way. Yet you have broken us in the place of jackals and covered us with the shadow of death. If we had forgotten the name of our God or spread out our hands to a foreign God, would not God discover this? For he knows the secrets of the heart. Yet for your sake we are killed all day long. We are regarded as sheep to be slaughtered. Awake! Why are you sleeping, O Lord? Rouse yourself! Do not reject us forever. Why do you hide your face? Why do you forget our affliction and oppression? For our soul is bowed down to the dust, our belly clings to the ground. Rise up! Come to our help! Redeem us for the sake of your steadfast love. Now there are many things that point to this being possibly a post-exilic psalm. So the sons of Korah not being one particular group, but a lineage that continues going on in their place as leaders of the worship of the sanctuary. And there's so many things that can be said here. First of all, the Israelites proclaim that they have been told the great and mighty deeds of the Lord. These guys know what happened in Exodus. They know what happened in the wilderness wanderings. They know what happened with the battle of Jericho and how God drove them, drove out all the nations before them, gave the Israelites victory, not by their superior might, but because of his steadfast mercy and love for them, driving out people much bigger than they were. But also, there were times that Israel was turned away. Right after the battle of Jericho, they get to the battle of Ai, the first one, and they get turned away. Why? Because Achan did not follow God's commandments regarding the spoils of Jericho that were to be utterly destroyed. So Ai, a town name that really means heap. So you think about this, a small town, possibly even not much more than a garbage dump, turned away the mighty Israelite army. Why? God had not gone out with them because they had broken the covenant. But what do they say? In God we have boasted continually. But you have rejected us and disgraced us. 
You have made us turn back from the foe. You have made us like sheep for slaughter. You have sold your people. All of this is the psalmist blaming God. And yes, there are times that, yes, we can blame God for what goes on with us. I mean, look at the book of Job. God did not make all things happen with Job, but God allowed Satan to do it within certain parameters that Satan had to abide by. Even though this is Satan what we're talking about, and he doesn't follow any rules, not even his own many times. But this is the thing. We have all this going on. The verse 17, the craziest, probably one of the craziest verses, if not the craziest verse in the entire Psalter. All this has come upon us, though we have not forgotten you, and we have not been false to your covenant. Yes, we have. We have forgotten him. We have been false to his covenant. And so have they. So is Israel. Why? Because we are sinners. We are sinners that God has called to himself and made his children. But again, in our minds, there are many times where things happen and it's like, we didn't do anything to deserve this. Maybe not. Maybe not directly. There is not always a causal relationship between a particular sin and what is happening to you today. Sometimes there is, but sometimes, many, many, many times there are not. And all of this goes to say in the end of verse 21, for he knows the secrets of the heart. Yes, God knows exactly what's going on. God knows exactly what everybody is doing right at this very moment. And that is sometimes a scary thought. That is sometimes a wonderful thought. But again, it depends on how your relationship with God is. Because if it is not good, then yes, you feel completely abandoned by God. But if it is wonderful, then you go, yes, I have to admit that I have a great part in this. I helped bring this on, whether directly or or indirectly. And so he ends with this call for God to wake up, to spring back into action for his people, to not forget them anymore. And he does. After the 70 years of the Babylonian captivity, he does bring the people back. He does give good kings to help bring back the people of Judah over and over again. But eventually, his patience does wear out. And he says, no, now is the time for your departure. Now you will be forsaken for a time, but it is just for a time. Verse 25 has this image of us reliving out truly the curse of Satan in the garden. For our soul is bowed down to the dust. Our belly clings to the ground. We go back to Genesis chapter 3, verse 14, where God says to the serpent, Because you have done this, cursed are you above all livestock and above all the beasts of the field. On your belly you shall go, and dust you shall eat all the days of your life. 
Yes, when we get to our lowest point, it is truly hell on earth. But again, Scripture tells us over and over again that hell was not designed for you and me. Hell was designed for the devil and his minions. And so, yes, when we feel the devil's pressure upon us, yes, we feel like we are in hell. And we feel forsaken by God because that is what hell is, is to be forsaken by God for all eternity. Being without the presence of God. I'm not trying to make it a philosophical or abstract thing, but it's a very real thing. But yes, we feel that here on earth as we seek to understand why bad things happen to us. And honestly, the answer is very simple. Bad things happen to us because of sin. Sin is there all throughout the world. And we seek to be vindicated from those who seek our harm. We seek to have God refresh us like that deer panting by streams of water. Because our soul is crying out to God for his salvation, his mercy, his steadfast love. All right, that's it for this week in Digging Deeper. I thank you for your time. And again, this is Pastor Doug Minton wishing you God's richest blessings as you wrestle with theology this week. Amen.